listen, that summer camp that you just saw the videos is the actual camp of how um, I got introduced to Kentucky, believe it or not, back in 1996. Um, I got contacted by somebody that was running that camp, and they said, hey, is there any chance that you would fly out here from Oklahoma and do our high school camp for us? And I bet I did the high school camp, or at least one of them, every single year after that. Um, and the reason that I was willing to do it, and I did it when there was 80 or 100 high school students there for the week, and I did it when there was 8 or 18 high school students there for the week, and this is why. Because I believe in what that environment can do spiritually for young people. Um, I have seen it. I mean, they will go, they will meet Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come crashing down into their lives, they will have worship times, they will be off praying when we're trying to have supper. It is absolutely amazing. On rare occasions, they'll get bit by a snake or break a leg or something like that. But listen, if you're going to try to keep your kids from letting anything like that happen, um, listen, it's not going to work for you, okay? I'm not saying they all have to break a leg and get bit by a snake, I'm just saying it's not as bad for them as you think it is. It's an inconvenience, but hey, don't, don't try to make it happen. Just understand, especially if you're raising boys, that you know that's, that's the way the cookie crumbles, okay? And so it happens. Be thinking about that. I have never seen a camp that was so subsidized by an organization that you could send your child there for four days for $70 and everything is covered except for their little spending money at the canteen and things like that. It just doesn't get any better for you than that. My children have all been counselors there, not every single one of them because some of them counseled at a different camp, but it has been such a great experience for them. Okay, that's not what the message is about, so let's get past that. Okay, I want to take you into summertime. We're going into summertime. Okay, people are already starting to, starting to head off on vacation. College students are headed across the United States, and that's going, and, and I'm seeing their Instagrams, and they're like, goodbye, Richmond, goodbye, Richmond, and so we're there. It, here, it's summer. I mean, you know, for all practical purposes, it's not June 21st, but at the end of the day, you and I are celebrating that it is summer. And so uh, as we head into summer, um, I just want to talk about something. We've talked about it before. I just want to lay a little groundwork. I want you to stay with me until we're done. I want you to feel free to give me a call and say, hey, I'd like to have some coffee with you and talk about this. Um, you are more than welcome to do that. Just do me a favor, show up with the Bible. Um, if you're showing up with your experience and your story, please be prepared for us to spend some time praying because that is very important too. Um, but I want you to stay with me for the, for the whole message this morning and then we can deal with it there. There are things, okay? There are things. Things that tie us down and hinder our growth that honestly shouldn't do that. They should not do that. There are things in our lives that are not necessarily bad for us, but they definitely are not good for us as individuals. We cannot arbitrarily say, Everything in this column is absolutely bad and everything in this column is absolutely good because there are some things that don't fit in those columns. There are things historically in America that the church has made an absolute sin that the Bible actually speaks the exact opposite of. And yet I still watch Christian people ignore Scripture, ignore Scripture, and propose, thus saith the Lord. And it's like, today's topic is going to be one of those things right there. I keep saying this, but at the end of the day, I can only share with you, on behalf of my calling from Jesus Christ himself, to be a pastor, to be a preacher, I can only come to you and say, this is what the Bible says 
about what the Bible says. That's all I'm given permission to do from heaven. I cannot pervert it. I cannot twist it. I cannot remake it. I cannot rewrite it. I cannot bend it, stretch it, conform it to your personal preference. And if personal preference is what is driving your relationship to Jesus Christ, then listen, I love you, but you, above all people, are in a dire circumstance. And I would encourage you in that. Today I want to talk to you about alcohol. Not the kind you put on your boo-boo. Not the kind you rub on your arm when you get a little cut, just in case you don't want those things to infect you, those germs that are out there. Once again, if you get a broken leg or get bit by a snake, up goes your immune system. It gets stronger. It's going to be good. So it's not a bad thing for you to get a cut and a boo-boo. It's all right, okay? That's okay. Don't leave. Don't walk out. Like I said, feel free to hit me up. But I've shared this before, some of these very thoughts. Um, When we planted this church, There was a man that approached me a year in, uh, eight or nine months to a year in, and he sat me down. He said, now the next thing you need to preach on is you need to stand up and you need to preach that drinking alcohol is a sin. I was sitting in his office, and I said, "Um, so give me your reasons why. And he said, well, and this is where he went. My dad is an alcoholic, my brother is an alcoholic, and just to be clear, I was raised by a man who was a self-proclaimed alcoholic, Um, and, and so this man and I had something in common, and we were discussing it and sharing, and we were going back and forth, and finally, in the course of our conversation, I said, I understand what you're saying, however, what I have to do is I have to tell you the Bible does not support your stand that drinking alcohol is a sin. It does 100% of the time support the understanding that being drunk is a sin. It is gross moral failure, okay? And this is what he said to me. He said, listen, I don't care what the Bible says. What I care about is that my dad and my brother are, are alcoholic. And I'll be the first to tell you that it is the most abused drug in America today. I agree with that 100%. But I can't stand up here on this, this stage and lie to you. I can't. And, and I'm not saying everybody go out and start drinking. I am definitely, let me get to the end of this message. I'm just saying that we have all got to agree that Joe has not been given permission to twist, reinvent, redefine sin for anybody. Neither can I say what will finally be sin because of the way that it needs to be there. And so we have to be very, very careful about that. And that's what we do. You are headed to summer. You're headed to the lake. You're headed to the creek. You're headed to your backyard. You're headed to the pool. You're headed camping. You're going out. Some of you will disappear and we'll live vicariously through you because we have to stay in Richmond and do just, you know, this. And so um, that will be great. Go have a good time. But man, as you do, just be very, very, very careful so that you can look back on your experiences and you can be thankful for what God gave you and that it didn't get messed up. In the midst of life, if we don't walk out our beliefs, (coughs) excuse me, I have a tickle, and I am really tired of Kentucky pollen, okay? I just want to go on record as saying, get thee behind me, pollen, in the name of Jesus Christ. My car's covered with it, my dogs are covered with it, and my lungs are covered with it. In the midst of life, if we don't walk out our beliefs, if all they are are words that come out of our mouth, then we... We stand for nothing. 
We do. We stand for nothing. I want to read you a, uh, just the opening passage from a book called Job. No, it's really, it's Job, okay? But so many people see it and they're like, what's this book, Job? It's like, it's not the book of Job. It is, in fact, the big book of Job. And um, Job was a man that existed. I am not somebody that ascribes to the idea that this is fiction that was written in the Jewish language and the Hebrew language, on and on and on and on, because it's a, you know, let's make a metaphor out of it. I do not believe 50 chapters is a metaphor, okay? 50 chapters is a statement, or 49, whatever it is. It's a statement, okay? And so I just want to open up the book of Job. As we begin to talk about going out into the summer and enjoying ourselves and having parties and gathering together and camping and all the things that we might do that sooner or later might include us partaking of alcohol. It says, in the land of us, us, you probably wonder where was us, okay? I'm going to show you where most people believe where was us, okay? But we'll get there in a second. And there was, uh, in the land of us, there was a man whose name was Job. And this man was blameless and upright, and he feared God, and he shunned evil. And he had seven sons and three daughters. And I thought five was a lot. He had ten. And some of you come from big families. You do, okay? So he had 10 children. He owned 7,000 sheep. He had 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants, and he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns, check this out. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified, and then early in the morning he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, and this was Job's regular custom. When his kids got together, I just want to say this. It says, it says his sons used to take turns holding feasts in their home, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them, and they would have these periods of feasting. And I'm just one who believes that it was mostly birthday parties, and so whenever I have my birthday party, I would really appreciate feasting, okay? Not just a cake, not just a, hey, we're here for an hour, okay? I want to go on record as saying to anybody who's listening that has my DNA in their system that I want a feast. I want feasting for a while, please, from now on for my birthday. However, let's just take a look at where most people will believe us was. Okay, in case you are wondering where us was, down there is where us um, initially is suspected of being. Now, I say that because you notice that there's a question mark next to us because nobody really knows where us was except probably Dr. Seuss. I'm, I'm just guessing that he probably has something that never got published that says, did you ever wonder where us was? Well, us was right there. Most every map that I look at puts us there, but 100% of them put us there with a question mark behind where it is. Okay, and I just want to tell you, I'm not up here to redefine where us was. I cannot do that. I can do my best to present the facts to you from the scripture, and the facts support that us was probably right there um, in uh, that given area. And so that's where we are. And so here's um, Job, and he has 10 children, seven sons, three daughters. Um, they like to get together and have a good time. And I'm going to tell you, um, in my neighborhood, my family likes to get together and have a good time. Um, most of my children were at my house and my grandchildren um, this weekend, and we had so much fun in Grandma's pool, and we splashed 
flashed, and, and I noticed that all the other neighbors stayed in their houses, um, and you know, we had the little music thing, the Bluetooth, and it was singing songs, and it was loud, and it was awesome, and I thought, I wonder what, how loud we're allowed to be. I'm not really sure, but we're far enough away that maybe they'll cut us some grace, and so, you know, we, we, we tried to have a great big giant party of just getting together and celebrating mama being mama, and yet at the same time we ate, had a wonderful time, and, and, and lived our lives together, and thankfully, I, I've yet to have to, you know, sacrifice animals for my children's purity, um, and I'm thankful for that. But, but Job did. When they would have a party, it would be such a great party. Everybody would have such a wonderful time. And I love this. It didn't say that they got drunk. It didn't say that they went wild. It didn't say they were ridiculous. It said in case. In case. In case the partying got to be too much. In case things went too far. In case they crossed the line, then he would make a sacrifice just in case. Just in case. And um, ask God to please forgive his children. And that is absolutely a wonderful way to anticipate being with your kids, okay? I get sucked, sucked into things every once in a while. Recently, I, I have a new bracelet, and it has all of my children on my bracelet. And so every day, it's, it's right here, and I can just reach down with my hand, and I'm praying for my children. And that's the equivalent of what Job was doing. He was constantly praying for his children. Some of you will say, man, my granny has never stopped praying for me, and every time I see her, my granny says, I've been praying for you. You straighten up your life, that you'll stop what you're doing, that you'll do this, you'll come to know Jesus. And, and, and you come to know Jesus, and you're like, I knew my granny was praying for me. I just knew she was. You know, and listen, if you don't think your granny won't wreck your life with her prayers, she will. She will tear you up, and you'll be wondering, it's the devil, and it's not. It's your granny, okay? It's your granny just releasing the devil on you till you come running to Jesus, okay? And so that's what's going on, and so we have this story. There's always, I mean, you can get in your scripture, and you can see in the oldest scriptures in the Bible, there's alcohol there. I was just wondering, because I saw an article um, and it says that residues of a beverage dated circa, and circa, I'm giving credibility to the conversation I've been having on Tuesdays at uh, Purdy's, circa 7,000 to 6,600 um, BC, where um, a beverage was recovered from pottery in a Neolithic village in the Yellow River Valley of China, and the beverage predates the earliest evidence of grape wine in the Middle East by the Jews by about 500 years. So it's understood that the oldest form of alcohol that is known to date, not the oldest form, but the oldest form that is known to date is from the Yellow um, River Valley uh, in China um, that we can do that. So as we, as we look at this story of Job and his friends, I mean his children, and, and they were drinking. And one of Job's concerns was that they would get drunk and that somewhere in their drunkenness that they would curse God and, and as a result of that they would end up dead. And he didn't want his children dead. He, he was concerned about his children. And so he made sacrifice for them. And so, again, we have this example very early in our Bible, at least in the timeline of the history of the world, of that. And then we have the story in the book of John in chapter 2 of Jesus going to a wedding in Cana, and he makes wine at the wedding in the middle of a, a small crisis. I didn't want to start with that scripture. I just wanted to refer to it. Jesus steps in. There's 180 gallons worth of stone jars standing nearby. The people have had too much. It's described as too much to drink. And so Jesus goes ahead, goes ahead and he makes more wine. In the making of more wine, he's got up to 180 gallons there that he's providing to this party that's going on 
on once again for more than just a couple of hours with a birthday cake. It wasn't a birthday. It was a wedding, I understand, but I'm trying to influence people. Um, and so at the end of the day, we've got Jesus making this wine, and then we've got a conundrum. What do we do with the fact that people had had um, a lot to drink, and then Jesus made wine? What do you do with that? Well, what Jesus made was grape juice. What Jesus, listen, I've heard it all, but that's not true. Okay, when, when, the, when the master of the ceremonies comes out and says Jesus saved the best, or the, the, the groom saved the best till last, he's referring to a better quality, which more than not refers to alcoholic, okay, alcohol content. The Jews had a, 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 a recipe for cutting their wine um, uh, by a 25% or something like that, um, and then you could hold it underwater at, at one fathom for 30 days, and then you could put it on a shelf, and it would last as grape juice, just grape juice for a, a whole year, up to a whole year. So you had things like that going on. But that's not the picture that we get of Jesus, and I just want to talk about that because it's about Jesus. There are three Greek words used in the Scripture for wine. One is oinos, one is glucose, and one, one is yayin, okay? And each of one of those represents something just a little tiny bit different, but every one of them at some point uh, more than not represents wine or refers to specifically wine. And so we look at how does uh, or how do we allow Jesus to represent to us back um, the wine question. Was Jesus somebody that drank alcohol? A lot of people will tell you in their efforts to keep people on the straight and narrow that he did not. And yet the scripture itself says quite the opposite. Okay, so let me take you to the book of Matthew chapter 11 from Jesus' own mouth. Okay? For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. Okay, because he fasted and he was a teetotaler, because he would not eat food sacrificed to idols because he wouldn't hang out with uh, Pharisees who were living for the world, for Sadducees who were living more for the world. Um, they said, then, you know, he's a weirdo and um, he has a devil. And Jesus goes on to say, the Son of Man, referring to himself, came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton, excuse me, a glutton, because he would go to the party and he would hang out. And please understand, we can recognize that Jesus ate with sinners, but at the end of the day, you have to, put, you have to know that the stamp of God is right there, and he did not sin. He did not sin when he was at the party, but he was at the party, okay? Because it says that they say he was a glutton and he was a drunkard, okay? It says he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but Jesus says, but wisdom is proven right by her deeds or by her children, in one uh, um, um, uh, version of the Scripture. And so um, we have this picture right here of Jesus saying, listen, you need to understand, John came to tell you that I was coming, and he lived a monastic life, and in living a monastic life, people decided that he was full of the devil. And John was not a guy that said nice things to people, and it cost him his head. He got his head cut off because he challenged somebody on their uh, remarriage, okay? And so that was going on. But Jesus said, this is how you treated John. I came, I eat with you, I drink wine with you. So you don't call somebody a drunkard who's, eating, uh, who's drinking Welch's grape juice. And the word drunkard itself does not refer to grape juice. Okay? So as we look at this scripture and what's going on right here, it's like, no, Jesus says, but, but, he says, wisdom is proven right by her deeds. 
Okay, the way you continue to live your life is what's going to determine what you really believe about things. And for you and I today, this morning, as we look at this passage right here, it's going to be about drinking. If you think God is absolutely okay with drinking, drink all you want, get drunk, have a party, get somebody, man, you are, you are missing the whole point of the call of Christ to be um, uh, remade. That the old Joe is gone and the new Joe is here and all things are made new. If the idea is God accepts me as I am, then Jesus is in the worst position of all because he died for nothing. God could accept me as I am, and he doesn't. He accepts you where you are. Can you grab a hold of that differentiation? Can you, can you do that? Can, can you believe that God looks down there and sees Joe, a wicked sinner, um, and I hated the taste of beer, so that wasn't an issue for me, but I had a lot of other problems. And he didn't say, I'm going to condone those problems. I'm going to say it's okay for him to mess up in that pornography and all that stuff that he was raised in. That's okay. I accept all that. No, he didn't. He said, you got to come away from that, Joe. And somewhere in our lives, we recognize that God has looked at every single one of us and did not accept us as we were. But he did accept us where we are and say, now what I want to do is I want to change you. I want you to come. I want you to hang out with me. I want you to be my friend. I want you to learn from me. I want you to grow in me. So what does it mean for us to continue to move forward in our relationship to Jesus Christ? Well, if, you, uh, if you're in a super conservative church, then you're just going to have people jump up and say, it was just grape juice. It was just grape juice. Listen, it wasn't just grape juice. If you're in, in, in a, in a uh, I'm not going to use the word liberal. That's not the one that I want. If you're in a, a church that understands grace and your freedoms, then you're going to understand, listen, Jesus made the good stuff. Um, it was fermented. I'm sorry. The issue is moderation, not abstinence. The scripture doesn't support abstinence. There are scriptures in the book of Leviticus that prescribe drinking at festivals. But always in moderation. Always. Um, I can say specifically from the wedding passage of Jesus being at the wedding, there's a couple of things that I can learn, and it's important to understand that um, there is nothing that says all of the, the party goers were drunk. It does say they had had a lot, and by then they should have been like not knowing um, what was going on, but they brought out the better wine. The second thing is that it was common practices in Jesus' day to mix the water with the wine to weaken it. And that's the word oinos in the Greek, okay? It's common wine. It's what you drink with all of your meals. The third thing that I can say from that passage is Jesus was at the party, and there is no reason to suggest that he and all of his disciples had come to that party, brought their um, Arctic cooler with a stainless steel straw and full of water, you know, or their Avion or their whatever it might have been, their favorite water, and they just sat there in a corner, and like you know, everybody said about John, there's the weirdos full of the devil, and they drank their water and just watched the party go on. There's nothing to suggest that at all. There is nothing to suggest they did not go to the party and partake of what was going on, but they did not sin. That is an important thing to understand. So we look at this and we say, hey, what's going on there? What's the deal? Because the last thing from that particular passage is God cares about one of your, uh, every one of your everyday wants and needs, and that was important. He was in the middle of a crisis and he did this one. You don't call somebody a drunkard if they're drinking Welch's. It's not, that's not what's going on. 
So what about us 2,000 years later? Scripture tells us that Noah got drunk from his own wine, and bad things came out of that. Scripture tells us that Lot got drunk from his own wine, and bad things came out of that. History tells us that we tried as a nation to legislate um, prohibition, and that didn't work. Alcohol has been around absolutely forever. And it's not that we need to give in to it. That's not it at all. We need to understand its place in the world. We need a biblical approach to alcohol. We need to look at the scripture and say, what does the Bible say? And then what do, how do I interact? And, and there's some things that I want to say about that. Um, you might say that we need a smart approach to it. Even though some Christians advocate for the total abstinence of alcohol as a moral mandate for all believers, the Bible never requires and never suggests absolute teetotalism. It just doesn't do that. Okay? It doesn't say abstaining is the wisest way to do it. Okay? There are a couple of plays, uh, passages that say, listen, beer is good for this, but it'll do that to you. Wine is okay for this, but it'll do that to you, meaning you have got to be careful with it. And we recognize that alcoholism has been rampant through every age of the history of men. But think about this. I saw this quote one time, not because I was looking for somebody to, to advocate that drinking's okay. I just want to look at both sides of the argument and at the end of the day say, what does the Bible say? But this person said this, and, and I came to appreciate it, I, and I, I kept this quote. If Christians want to forbid all alcohol consumption to avoid drunkenness, then in order for us to be consistent, they should have also avoid making a lot of money to guard against the crushing sin of materialism and the misuse of wealth. Wouldn't that make sense? I mean, I mean if, if we went down the, the absolute total abstinence of it, then we should just take anything that would draw us away because there are, there are significant passages in the New Testament especially where Paul speaks and speaks and speaks against greed and sexual immorality. And they, those two are often coupled together. And so we look at what the Scripture is beginning to say and we say, then how do we do this? Here's something that I want to share with you that Paul says. In the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, and I'm going to kind of skip down through the things where he says, hey, this is who you used to be, but I'm going to reference it. In chapter 6, in verse 12, he says, I have the right to do anything, you say. You people say that, hey, grace, I have the right to do anything, but everything uh, is not beneficial, and I have the right to do anything, that's what they're saying. But Paul says, but I will not be mastered by anything. And so there's an approach to even alcohol. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. Food for thought. Doesn't mean we shouldn't, but it doesn't mean we should. And, and we want to be somewhat careful on that, okay? Um, right ahead of this passage I just shared with you, I have the right to do everything you say, but not everything is beneficial. Be mindful of that. I have the right to do anything you say. And Paul says, but I will not be mastered by anything. I will not let it make me an addict. Right ahead of this, he talks about the fact that the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, the male prostitutes, the homosexual offenders, in the new reference it says, men who have sex with other men either passively or actively. All right, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, slanderers, and swindlers. And he goes on to say, none of these people are going to heaven. It doesn't matter if you've been pushed in a tank. It doesn't matter what you've said. It doesn't matter what you've prayed. What matters is, are you walking with Jesus, and are you walking away from this, which, which wants to bind you? That's the important thing for us to be aware of. And then 1 Corinthians 6. Let me go to 1 Corinthians 10. 
10, where he says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. That's two times in one letter to the church in Corinth. Paul grabbed a hold of the church and said, listen, I need to wake you up and help you understand that just because you can doesn't mean you should. And we got to grab a hold of that. It's okay for us to live in moderation. We don't have to live at extreme ends of an issue. Paul's entreating the Corinthian church not to follow the devil, not to follow the world, and definitely not to get locked up into its vices. Um, so what does it look like? What does a smart approach to alcohol look like? Let me share this with you. First of all, just because I can doesn't mean I should. Okay? Like I just said, just because I can doesn't mean I should. Okay? There are people in our midst that are very prone to addictive personality disorder. They are. And the idea that somebody would come to a men's event at church and be sitting next to somebody that would say, here, have a beer, without this person knowing that that person is on week three or month four or year 10 of sobriety um, because he lost his family and his job and his life to alcoholism would be a travesty. It would be a travesty. For us to hand out cards for people to go get their own beers would be a travesty. For us to be doing things together in big groups. I'm not saying don't drink. Don't hear me saying that. I'm talking about how do we as a church coexist together in, in our meetings. We cannot be doing that and supporting that because we don't know who we're sitting next to. And we have got to care. We have to care. If we don't care, why be a church? Paul says, everything is free to me, but not everything is good for me. Alcoholic Anonymous says that one in four people that takes their first drink becomes an actual alcoholic. One in four. 25% of the people can't walk away from it. And check this out. Alcohol is no respecter of age. It is not. I worked for years with a 30-something-year-old that almost lost his job, almost lost his family, almost lost his, his, his whole reason because he could not let go. And I had to live as a pastor doing everything I could to protect where he might be at what time because I did care about him. I cared about him very much. There were times that I would wake up in the middle of the night praying for him. It's like, man, Lord, protect this person because you don't have to be a 60 or 70-year-old alcoholic. You can be a 19-year-old alcoholic. It's just what happens when you believe that alcohol is the answer to the struggles or to the fears that you don't want to face. In the book of Ephesians, it says, be very careful. Look, Ephesians chapter 5. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. You want to have a glass for your stomach, Paul told Timothy at one point in the Scripture? You want to have a glass of wine just because you like it. Don't get drunk drunk what about a friend because we live in a world that if i watch social media it's like man i can't wait to get to friday i just want i just i just don't want to wear my underwear and i want a bottle of wine and i want him to take care of them kids and leave me alone you know listen i know it's cute and funny 
And we all understand the pressures of momhood. But man, that can't be the answer. When I started looking at alcohol and, and what should the church's relationship and began to be in conversations about it, one of the things that my wife and I came to understand is when you look at Scripture and alcohol, people drank because they were celebrating. They didn't drink to run away from something. You drink because, and I'm not saying you have to, just understand, from the Scripture, they drank because they were happy. They did not drink to get happy. They drank because the feast was, was upon us. The harvest was in. We're celebrating to God. Slaughter the bull. Kill the sheep. We're going to eat as a community. We're going to have wine. We, God has given us another year. We can celebrate. Not, oh man, you don't understand. I wrecked the car and I lost my job because I was late to work. And then when I was coming, uh, you know, I broke my ankle. I just need a fifth of jack. No, you don't. What about the friend that posts online and says, oh, man, I had the worst day ever. And supposedly a friend says, man, if I'd have known that, I'd have brought a six-pack and we could. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who are you surrounding yourselves with that instead of letting you know that they're going to pray for you, they're saying, let us get you drunk? That alone should show you that who you surround yourself with really does matter. That's not the answer. I, I want to assure you of this. When people come running with liquor because you've been through a bad day or something's been a struggle or you're having a difficult time, that's literally, that would be the, the prescription of how to make an alcoholic. Just help them to believe that the answer to everything going wrong is more alcohol. And I would challenge that. Who you surround yourself with really does matter. Second thing, when we talk about how should we as, as Christian people look and understand alcohol, it's not my place to judge somebody to hell for drinking. I used to, I used to think that was my place. This person was a Christian. Well, they had a beer while they were at beer, B-dubs. I'm not sure if they can be a Christian and have a beer. It's like, hmm. I, you know, my dad's an alcoholic. I uh, raised our kids. We, we were going to be teetotalers. That's all there was to it. So when I was in a restaurant, I'm, I'm not flinging poop at the guy. I'm just saying, you know, he says he's a Christian, but he's drinking. I hope he gets in when Jesus blows the trumpet. You know, it's, I, that was my take on it. You know what? And then I began to read Romans 13, 14, and 15, and it's like, it's not my place to judge those people. Not at all. But let me say it this way. It is not my place to judge somebody to hell because they're drinking. It is my place to challenge somebody who takes it too far. Not to go up and say, well, you're not going to get in heaven, but to say, hey, dude, what's up? What's going on that you've let go of Jesus and you've taken drinking this far? And I'm just going to tell you that what's going to come is, what, you don't think I can handle my liquor? <laughs> If you've done that and that's your answer, the answer is no, I don't think you can. <laughs> okay? But the truth of the matter is, are we approachable? Are we approachable? And is the example that we're putting out there important? Let me share with you scripture from Colossians. And let me say this too, that if you're wondering, well, yeah, but you know, when do I know? Hey, 
The KSP says buzzed driving is drunk driving. That means buzzed is drunk. Let that be your, your meter. Buzzed is drunk, according to the Kentucky State Police. In the book of Colossians, Paul writes this, Therefore, don't let anybody judge you by what you eat or what you drink regarding to a religious festival or a, moon, a new moon or a celebration or a Sabbath day. These are only shadows of things that were to come. The reality is found in Christ. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up, the notions of their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body is supported and held together through ligaments and sinews and it grows as God causes it to grow. The whole point there is, listen, he says, listen, you're going to sit down and you're going to eat with people. You're going to sit down and you're going to have a drink with people. And, and listen, you cannot live your life worried about if people are condemning you to hell. Don't, don't, don't live your life that way. But in the book of Romans, he says this, it's better for you not to eat or meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, about drinking and eating meat, Sacrifice to idols. I, I didn't make this up. This is in the book of um, Romans. Whatever you believe about drinking, whatever you be, uh, believe about eating meat, sacrifice to idols, keep between you and God. Stop trying to make everybody believe it your way. Wow. I, I had not read that before till about 10 years ago. Whatever you believe about this, you keep to yourself. The issue is drunkenness. The issue is the law. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Romans 13 says, let everybody who is be subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, why do I share that with you, okay? Let me, let me tell you why I shared that with you. Because at the end of the day, we need to recognize, we need to recognize that if you're not 21 and you're drinking, it's a sin, a moral sin. Because God established the government that decided it was a moral sin that it was wrong, that you're not allowed to drink. I know we laugh at it, we joke about it, we do it behind the barn, we, all the things, okay? I, I get that. All I'm saying is there is an age at which the government said this is how it's going to be. The big takeaway, you and I have all been called to walk in the Spirit of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it is hard enough to do it with a clear mind. It really is. Man, I'm walking in the Spirit and trying to figure out if I'm walking in the Spirit. And I need the Spirit to tell me whether I'm walking in the Spirit. And if I get some, uh, you know, um, Tennessee spirits inside of me, I'm not going to know which Spirit I'm listening to. And I'm not saying that one sip is going to make you drunk, but I will tell you that um, I'm a lightweight. When I was 13 years old, somebody handed me a beer and I fell over. Okay, it was just about that bad. And from there on out, it was like, I don't like the taste of it. I don't like the smell of it. I just don't like beer. No, thank you. But there's a place here where I've been called to walk in the Spirit. And I want to begin to ask myself, is it easier to hear the Spirit of the Lord speak to me or harder if I've been drinking? And again, I'm not here to tell you don't drink. I'm here to tell you in the midst of it all, what's your example? What's it's doing for you? What's your reason why? You're celebrating and having a wonderful time? That's great. Moderation is still the thing. In the book of Galatians, it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. But at the end, we need to love each other. We do. 
Listen, if you see my car parked in front of the paddy wagon, I'll go in there and I will have something to eat. Since my car is parked there and even somebody I love desperately doesn't drive it that often, if ever, but um, then I'm not drinking. I can assure you of that. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to have a cop pull me over because I missed a, a, because I had too much power and tried to blow through a yellow light and say, hey, have you been drinking? And me have to answer and say yes. I'm not going to. That's, that's where I am. But I'm going to go in there and have dinner because I like the man that owns the place. And I do believe they have the best fried fish on Fried Fish Friday that anybody I've, and I've been places. I know, proud mayor. I know all that. Okay, I get it. I'm just saying they got fried fish. You can eat it till it's coming out your ears, and it is good. Okay? But I'm saying that you go into a place and you live in moderation. Does our partaking of alcohol help or hinder walking in the Spirit? Is it a problem or is it a blessing? In our church, if a staff member is drunk, it can be grounds for dismissal. In our church, it can be. It's moral failure, according to 1 Corinthians 6.10, not being drunk but being a drunkard, ongoing situation or lifestyle of partying and partying and partying. It can be. As a church, we work at helping people overcome addictions, and alcohol addiction is one of the worst because it's the most socially acceptable. We even laugh at people who are a little bit drunk. He was kind of crazy. He was tipping over sideways. See? And I'm not, again, I'm not saying don't drink. I'm saying be careful. Don't let it bite you. We don't provide or encourage as a church the consumption of alcohol at church events, and we don't know who's sitting next to us, and it could be a travesty for us to cause a problem to them. And if you're defending this in your heart, and you can, you can, please, again, I'll sit down and you have a drink and I'll have a drink and we'll not drive for a couple hours. But at the end of the day, let me just say this, okay? If you're defending this to the hilt and you've got your wall up and stuff, stop drinking for a month and tell me if you can do it. Just stop drinking for a month and tell me if you can do it. Can you go a couple of weeks without having a drink? Because sooner or later, we have got to come to terms that we are an addictive culture. And we have to do what we can. God doesn't want the vices of this world to keep us from experiencing the whole life that he has in store for us. Even so much so that the scripture says, let us lay off the weight or the things that hinder us and the sin that so easily entangles us. But there are things that hinder us that are not good for us. In your relationship to alcohol, are you experiencing your best? And I want to encourage you in that. Experience your best. God has things in store for you that are just straight up amazing. And he wants you to enjoy every bit of them. And at some point, that may be a glass of wine, a glass of scotch, a glass of whiskey, a glass of whatever else comes in fruity colors and umbrellas. All I'm saying is, you'll know where the line is. Be careful. Look at the people around you. Care enough to protect them as you make decisions on what you're going to do. Because here's another thing that I found that you've got to be careful of. You know, camel comes and he wants to get in your tent. This is an old Arabic, you know, parable. The camel wants to get in your tent and you say no. And he says, well, can I get my nose in? And you say, yeah. And he says, well, my ears are cold. Can I get my ears in? And you say, yeah, okay. And then the ears are in. And he says, my feet are freezing out here in this desert night. Could I get my, just my feet in? Pretty soon the camel's in the tent and you're not. 
That's the whole parable. It's like cooking a frog, right? If we're not careful and paying attention, we're cooked. And that's what we want to encourage you not to be. Alcohol is not an answer to a problem. It is the means by which we celebrate and thank God for what he's done, but without getting drunk. Without getting drunk. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you right now, we want to thank you and we want to praise you for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. We want to thank you for this in-our-face challenge and just, God, it's in my face too. It's in my face too, Lord. And I thank you for that. God, I thank you for where you brought us. I thank you for what's going on. I thank you for celebrations. I thank you for your word that says that the wine is a thing that makes our hearts glad. And we thank you for that. But we come before you in a world that has found that abusing it is, the world thinks, fun. And yet it's destroying marriages, destroying families. It's destroying lives, jobs, careers. It's, it's causing people to miss seeing their dreams come true. And so as we come to you right now, God, we just ask and pray that you touch our lives. Be near to us. Give us a caution. Speak loudly, God, because we are, we are deaf people because of the noise of the world around us and the things that we're, we're all doing. But thank you for this challenge. And we just ask and pray this morning that you open up our hearts and draw us near to you. Help us to be aware of the people around us and help us to do the things we do out of love. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now... These people are up here to pray, and so every one of you that's struggling with alcohol right now, I want you to get up out of No, some of you are like, he is not going to do that, is he? Like, I would not do that to you. I will tell you this. Let's don't be a group of, or a people of, uh, of faith, a church that's so proud and so busy trying to put on a mask that we can't say, look, I got a struggle, man. I got a problem. I don't want to lead a church where we can't get together and say, listen, I'm going through something right now. Can I just get some prayer? And we've got people up here that are like, yeah, we'll pray for you, dude. Because guess what? We're just normal people. And I don't want to be good at faking it. I don't. I just want to be real. Who you see on Sunday is who I want you to see on Monday. And I want to do it chasing after Jesus with all that I can. I do. And bringing him glory and reaching people for him. If there is something going on in your life, if you are facing a health issue, if you are facing a surgery, if you are looking down the barrel of financial struggle uh, or ruin, if there is anything that you feel like, I just wish I could get prayer for this tonight, today, can we pray for you during this song? We're going to stand up on our feet. That's what you do now. And uh, while we're singing this song, if you would like prayer for something, and it might be an addiction, but we don't know, and that's okay. Just come on up here and let us pray for you.